you guys go down to New Orleans. Uh, and I, I'm not trying to bring up a painful memory. But, <laughs> I look like just uh, crying. <laughs> here, I'm peeling onions here. Tell me more about it, you know. Hey everybody, what's up? Trey Wingo here. Welcome into another episode of Half Forgotten History. This week's guest is extremely unique in a lot of different ways. He took sort of a circumlocuitous route to the NFL. Once he got there, my God, he took a straight shot to start him. I'm talking about, of course, Jared Allen. Started his career in Kansas City, uh, became a superstar in Minnesota, and finished up in Carolina with an opportunity to get that Super Bowl ring that he came oh so close to in Super Bowl 50 against the Denver Broncos. Sit back and enjoy a rather entertaining episode with none other than Jared Allen. So literally, my last vision of you was your farewell tweet when you did what we're hoping to ride off into the sunset <laughs> on the horse that was a little gray. Um, so how have things been post-career for you? Oh, I can't, I, honestly, I can't complain. Life is, life is great. I'm a blessed man. Um, it sounds cliche, but I am. I got a beautiful wife, beautiful kids. Uh, they keep me busy, you know, typical, typical dad life, just uh, kids sports, you know, curling. So, you know, find that competitive edge, to, you know, on the curling yeah. side of things, uh, you know, talk a little football every now and then with guys like you. And so, uh, you know, I really can't complain, play some golf, all the good stuff, ride horses, rope still. So it's all, it's all good. We, we will get into the curling thing because I'm going to need a lot more explanation about that. Okay. We'll save that. We'll save that. There's a little <laughs> teaser. We'll save that for a little later. So how did you... Like, you know, you just you were born in Dallas. You grew up in California. How did you fall into football? Was it always something that you enjoyed? Yeah. So my my whole family, like from my dad's side, is military. My grandfather, 23 years yeah. in Marine Corps, uh, uncles all in, in the service. Um, and my dad broke the mold and decided he was going to play football. Um, and so he was a football guy you know, hardcore in and out. And so my dad was one of my heroes and, you know, he got to, he got to, you know, uh, preseason with the Vikings and that kind of stuff back in the day in the training camp. But so he played, he was all about football. So that kind of crossed over to me and my brothers, uh, my older brother, you know, again, growing up watching him play football, that's kind of all I ever right. wanted to do was play football. So uh, that's, that's kind of how it, it got in. And uh, you know, it was either, he was either, you know, it was going to be a horse trainer or a football player. Those are my only two options. I put all, <laughs> put it all in there. <laughs> well, it, it, it clearly worked out. Um, I, I was just reading this. I didn't know you were a member of the Who's Who in Sports Illustrated as a high school player. Oh, I was. Okay. I didn't I didn't realize that either, I don't think. Yeah. First team all central coast selection and a member of Who's Who in Sports Illustrated. So okay. when when did you first get an inkling like, hey, I, I might be all right at this? Eight years old. Uh when I was eight years old, I told Boy, my... can I can I just tell you something? Like <laughs> I ask that question a lot, and most people go, home, let me think. Boom! You knew at eight. I love this. Continue. I, I told probably sooner than that. I told my dad at eight years old I was going to play professional football. Uh, most parents are like, "Okay, Johnny, like go to school. Yeah. Like let's like that's a great that's great, but it's not really they're not really encouraging." My dad's a meat stick, and so my dad was just full on. He was like, "All right, you better eat, drink, and sleep football." He used to drop me off from our driveway, one of the ranches my dad uh, managed up to our our place was probably about a mile or so and he used to drop me off there every night and make me run all the way up the hill to uh <laughs> to think bailing hay it was just like it was nonstop. everything we did was hey football related seventh grade i quit baseball i quit everything else after seventh grade to focus on football uh so it was yeah i was all in my old man was all in with me so 
Uh, I don't know if that's a great thing, but it worked out for me. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I knew early on. I played soccer up until I could play football, watching my older brother. But I had Alice, my older brother's four years older than me. And so, you know, I'd always wear his pads and his, his friends and him would tee off on me in the yard. And, you know, so I think it just made me tougher. And uh, I got to I got the leg up on all these other little kids. Well, it, it certainly did work out. I mean, you can't you can't fault the dedication because it it, it, pay, it literally it paid, paid off, off at the time better than anybody in the history of the game, which we yeah, will also get to. Absolutely. But how did you end up at Idaho State? Oh, knucklehead moves. Um, so I, I transferred schools my senior year from Live Oak to Los Gatos. We had a, a prank gone wrong. We thought it was really funny to take all the yearbooks um, and then just sell them off and stuff like that. Comes to find out that the administration didn't find it nearly as funny as we did. <laughs> um, and I was on an, I was on an interdistrict transfer, so they pulled my interdistrict mm-hmm. transfer. Uh, a bunch of schools caught wind of it. Um, we had an agreement that I had left for overcrowding. Um, that yeah. agreement fell by the wayside, and the truth came out. And uh, yeah. I was a I was what they like to call a uh, an at risk, <laughs> at risk, <laughs> challenging kid. You know, it might be it might be a little bit of a troublemaker. Uh, and so, so that's how I ended up at Los Gatos, and um, I lost a few. I think probably like 13 full ride offers I thought I had coming to me. Uh, well, that is a funny story too. I, I came back, um, Rutgers had, had called me and they were like, Hey, we need your tape. We need your tape. And I'm like, man, I thought my coach sent out the tape. I'll tell him again, just contact my coach. And I committed to, I, anyway, in a long story short, I ended up committing to ISU, right? They were, I mean, they were just beating my door down. Coach Ray was there every day. It was, it was phenomenal. I loved him. And, uh, so I decided to go there and I come into my coach's uh, office one day and I see a box of all my tapes still sitting in his office that he never sent yeah. out my senior tape. I was like, ah, I appreciate it, coach. So, uh, really, but, hey, things work out for a reason. Yeah, I was like, hmm. It was like all, the, all these people that were writing me, I was like, man, I swear the tape's on the way. There was just a box that never got mailed out. I was like, well, anyway. Did he ever I- give you a reason why he didn't mail out all those tapes? No, I didn't even, honestly, I didn't even really address it at the time. I looked at it, I was like, yeah. is that my box of tapes? Like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like, well, you're already committed now. And I'm like, thanks, dude. Yeah, I appreciate it. Well, uh, so it, it worked out. Funny thing, too, Stanford came to, to uh, look at one of our other our tight ends, smart kid. And right. um, so they, they they came in, they saw me, they called me. I was at a softball or volleyball game or something like that for our school. And they called me and they're like, uh, Jared, this is Coach So-and-so from Stanford. They brought me, I watched the game. I was like, Wanted to, uh, you know, see what your inter- interest in going to Stanford was. I knew one of the players up there. I was like, yeah, dude, I'm all in. They're like, what's your SATs look like? I was like, not Stanford quality. Are you planning on taking them again? Nope. Never had any aspirations of going to Stanford. So we just let that one, we let that one slide. Hindsight, I probably should have taken my, my, uh, my SATs again and tried, tried to get in there. <laughs> no, I think, I think it's, uh, I live by two rules. Number one, know who you are. Number two, know who you're not. Yeah, and I oh, think that, for sure. And I think that you followed those same things and it's, it's worked out for you. So Absolutely. what was the, what was the experience? Like, cause you're the second to me, like if, if I'm having an Idaho state Bengals, like famous football player off, it would be you and Merrill Hodge. Yeah. Am I missing? Am I missing anybody else? Well, you got to throw um, uh, Marvin Lewis. You know, Coach Marvin yeah, Lewis absolutely. in there as yeah, well. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, absolutely. I'm trying to think who else we got. We got floating around there. That um, I think that that might be that might be the tops of us right there, right there for, for like offhand. I'm trying to think. I know there was a couple other guys who had a small stint in the league, but um, mm-hmm. oh, you know, um, 
Dietrich Smith. I mean, he might he might be number four on the list just because he's an offensive lineman. That's <laughs> about to say. Well, so what what was it like playing at Idaho State? What did you what did you learn and what did you oh, not expect? Man, um, so I, I'll never forget the first time I watched game film. I thought I was watching it fast forward. Right, I was just like, oh crap. Um, to be honest, I think what I didn't expect was, oh, um. I, to be honest, I think it was everything I expected. I think it was everything yeah. uh, from learning-wise. I mean, I had fantastic coach. I will say this. I mean, I, I'm a, f- a firm believer in exactly the two things you said, but also things happen for a reason, right? Uh, yeah. As a man of faith, I believe the Lord puts people in your life at the right times. And I have had phenomenal coaching since I was in Pop Warner, right? As far as technicians, yeah. like I've never had these meat stick coaches that just want you to plow through, you know, do stupid stuff. So I had I, I fell into the coaching of Mark Ray, um, and you know, just a phenomenal head coach, Larry Lewis, but all D line driven guys and just a, a, a technician. So I think what I learned was how to use my body. Um, well, I guess this is the biggest thing I was surprised with. I thought I was going to play linebacker cause I played like a stand up yeah. outside linebacker in, right. um, in high school in a five, two, you know, three, four type deal. And then I go to a four, three, and they're like, Hey Jared, just, just try putting your hand on the ground for a week. It's been the longest week of my life. I'm th- 20 exactly. years later, I'm still here on the ground. <laughs> so I think, but what I learned is I, I learned how to use my body and not just use raw, raw skill, right? Or raw, just yeah. want to. Um, so I, I really learned, you know, technique and, and how to break down, you know, my opponent and then, you know, throw that on when I get it to the NFL with Bob Carmelowitz, who was a, I mean, we had an anatomy skeleton in our D line room to learn how to manipulate, you know, big bones, small bones type deal. So, uh, but that all started with me at Idaho state. I mean, again, just, just repetition on those daily, you know, tactical techniques that you have to know as a D lineman. So, you know, again, all, all good stuff. So, so when in the, cause you, you were, I think the plan was you were going to redshirt and that went away very quickly. And you started what, 33 or 41 games. Yeah. I, I, I went to him and I basically told him, um, we weren't the greatest my my freshman year. And I knew I was, you know, no slight to the guys ahead of me, but you know, I'm yeah. arrogant enough to know I was better than them. Um, and I think the exact conversation I had with my coach was, listen, you know, I'm here because I lost out on like 13 d1 scholarships <laughs> i'm not yeah. i'm not i'm not coming here to sit on, on sit on the bench and, and, and watch these people play so i basically told them they either need to transfer me or play me those are the, or redshirt me or play me i'm not doing this in between redshirt get rid of me or, or play me and so uh i think they I, I was brash enough to where they threw me in and, and let me let me go play and uh they like they like to take that the fact that i didn't technically start I think I only started like two games my, my freshman year, but he was like, they'd always hold me out the first play and then I'd play the rest of the game. Well, it worked. Your, your freshman year, four sacks. Next year, six and a half. Next year, 10 and a half. And then 17 and a half, your senior year in 2003. When did you start hearing about the draft process? Like, hey, you might have a chance to play at the next level. Uh, after my sophomore year, I think I made preseason All-American my sophomore year. Um, and... I'm sure if you go back and look at those six and a half sacks, it's probably more. I mean, it's under protest. Noted. Noted. So I think I always, I, I always knew going into that. I knew my long snapping ability, right? I think that was, yeah. you know, I, I, to be honest. That's I, a ticket to a lot of years in the Yeah, NFL. and so, I mean, there was, there was uh, Eddie Johnson got drafted out of, you know, to Minnesota from Idaho State uh, the year before me. You know, he was a senior, uh, going into my senior year, but that, that junior year when he was going, you know, the end of my junior year when he was going through all that stuff, I was like, I could probably, I could probably go and play in the league right now as a long snapper. I could go do be, a, you know, 
college free agent right. and go get picked up somewhere. Um, so I think that's kind of when I always knew it was there, but I don't think it really sunk into my mind, you know, as far as the, the seriousness of it, I was always just getting by on, on being a really good player. And, and, um, you know, we had Ryan Zekas was our backup quarterback, Ryan, I think it was Ryan. Yeah. But his dad was a scout for the Niners. And, you know, so he came in my junior year when he was coming there, coming through and looking at stuff. And he really, you know, he, he gave me some great words of wisdom. It's like, it's not always what you do at the balls, right? It's what you're doing away from the ball. Um, and so that really kind of changed my mindset of, of getting my body in, in, into the proper shape it needed to be in. Uh, I used to celebrate being in like the, you know, 20% body fat club. And I realized that was probably a bad decision. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I really, it was kind of that junior senior year transition right there when I really knew, okay, I, I know I'm good enough to play at that level. I know my long snapping will get me in the door. Um, but you know, how good do I want to be? And so, um, you know, that's when I really kind of started dieting better and, and, and getting in the gym a little harder and, and, and really, you know, taking those skills that I learned and putting it, you know, putting it in the next level. And, and part of it was, it was, you know, my sophomore year, I actually had an offer to go to play at USC um, and my coach wouldn't give me my release. And, mm-hmm. you know, I kind of realized like, you know what, you can't, I haven't, I haven't fully accomplished everything I wanted to accomplish here. So, you know, me jumping over to, to the Pac-10 just because that's where I wanted to play my whole life you know, didn't make a whole lot of sense. So, uh, well, I couldn't go anyway. It's not like they had the transfer portal back then. So uh, yeah. I stuck it out and really decided to, uh, you know, to really hold my craft in and uh, it worked out all right. So you were, you were drafted in the fourth round by the Kansas City Chiefs. And I always say like being a fourth round pick out of Idaho State is completely different than being the seventh overall pick from LSU, <laughs> right? So, so what was your draft experience like? Oh, well, uh, we tried to make it as fun as possible. Um, so I knew I was going anywhere from the third to, to fifth, kind of. That was the range they had told me. Uh, but I'll never forget. I think I wore a suit just because, like, I wanted to feel important. Uh, there, was right. no, there was no day. I was at my friend's house. Like, with my I was about to say, is that family. the only time in your life you've worn a suit? I feel uh, like it yeah, been. well, I think, uh, you know, yeah, maybe a wedding, um, funeral. <laughs> I don't even wear a suit at a funeral. Um, yeah, I tried not to wear them. So, uh you know, I, so that it was funny. So the day one, I'm watching it kind of tail end of the draft and I get it. It's, it's actually the most hilarious and messed up story ever, but I get a call from a blocked number and I get a call that says, Hey, this is Jeff Fisher. How do you want to be a Titan? You're right. I jumped yeah. in the air and was like, yeah, I just got drafted by the Titans in the third round. Like everybody's high five me. And then someone else's name comes across the ticker and I'm like, wait, what? I'm like, coach, oh. but wait, coach. And my friends come out of the back room dying laughing. They like, start, Oh no. Yeah. They star six, nine block the call. And dude, oh, I no. fell for it. Hook, line and sinker. Did you um, want to kill them at that point? Uh, honestly, I was like tears laughing. I was just like, Oh my God. I totally just dejected, just emptied. Wow. Like, so then, you know, then I get a call from Vermeil, you know, on draft day when I get drafted by the chiefs. And I was like, yeah, okay. I'm like checking the phone line, making sure. <laughs> making sure everybody's in the right room um so yeah my, i mean we made the best of it we tried to make it yeah. big, as big time as we could up there in los gatos but uh you know either way i thought i what i do remember the most besides not going to the titans and the great greatest prank ever was yeah. that you know lamar hunt uh carl peterson uh lynn styles coach for i mean every single one of them got on the phone and talked to me and they told me, listen, we, we know you can long snap, but we brought you here to rush the passer to do both. And so for me to have the owner of the team 
the GMs to talk to a fourth round pick was pretty cool. I thought that just showed the class of the organization. And, uh, and I, and I just remember those conversations and being like surprised. I thought I was going to get like the D line coach, be like, Hey, you're, you're in, right. or, you know, head, head of player personnel, like, Hey, we'll see you in a few weeks. So uh, it was, it was a pretty cool experience. Well, you certainly paid it off your rookie year. You, you come out of the gate strong with nine sacks You follow that up with 11 and, you know, everyone talks about the Chiefs now in these sort of reverent terms because of what Mahomes and Andy Reid have done. But like the Dick Vermeil Chiefs of the mid 2000s were not a terrible football team. No, I, like I said, I, I was blessed to go. You know, Bob Carmelis was an absolute technician and coach Vermeil, like to come into an organization, you know, that was, you know, I just had success. They were coming off 13 and three. And to hear that, you know, obviously Coach Ramil is legendary in his own right. Um, And to be a part of those practices, but to be a part of like that, that NFL, that was just, I mean, still hardcore. I mean, OTAs, if, if, if they saw our OTAs today, we would all, we would, they would cancel training camp for us. They would cancel. And then we were having, you know, three hour, two days practice plus 10, you know, at the end of every uh, training camp practice, we had a 10 play rookie scrimmage. I mean, it was, it was a different league. We had 300 pound tight ends with Jason Dunn and, and, you know, so, uh, but I tell you what, it it really, it really was, that was iron sharpens iron. I mean, I got to go against guys like Willie Rofe, Jason Dunn, Brian Waters, Tony Gonzalez. I mean, you, you name it. Trent Green was the quarterback. So Priest Holmes, Larry Johnson, I mean, just the, the offensive weapons we had that I had to practice against daily, uh, really transitioned me faster than I ever would have, you know, coming into an organization, you know, that was maybe, not in that kind of mindset, I guess, uh, yeah. from college to, to the pros and, and really helped me have success. Well, it, it's interesting. Before Dick got back with the, got back to Kansas City, he was obviously with the Rams and won a Super Bowl there. And I was working in St. Louis at the time. And two things stand to mind from my time covering Dick Vermeil as a local sports guy in St. Louis. Number one, the introductory press conference was at noon. We, we took it live. And within three minutes, he had laughed, cried, and sworn three times. So like, you know, I was just like, all right, we, we got we to gotta rope this thing in here. But the other thing, like his second year in St. Louis, to your point, like the players almost revolted. I'm like, he's like, you are killing us on the, like yeah. Dick was legendary for making sure those practices were as intense as they could possibly be. Oh, and and, it, and he took pride in it. And I mean, he would, yeah. he would go to a position group and be like, Hey, I'll never forget. He went to the DBs one and we we're mid mid season. I want you to rough up the, the wide receivers. We're going to be playing jams. I want you. I mean, to the point where I mean, it caused fight after fight, after fight after fight at camp or, or practice where practice had to be shut down. But what 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 Coach Vermeil was great at was he his intensity. Like he would push you to a breaking point, right? And yeah. then know when to give you a hug, know when to tell you I love you. And I know it sounds sappy and it sounds cheesy, but when no, it's true. When you're in that mentality of running through brick walls, right? As football players kind of are meat stick mentality, you want to believe that the organization, the people you're playing for, you're playing for something greater than just you know that win or loss. And and Dick did that. He had such good relationships with the players that you did everything he asked you to do, knowing that you'd get to your breaking point that he would take care of you. And sometimes he wanted you to hate him. Sometimes that was his right. goal, right? To be as pissed off as possible at you, Adam, just to, just to see what kind of, what kind of man you were like, are you going to fold or are you going to triumph? And, uh, and the staff was that way too. So, I mean, there was, there was times where, you know, you're coming out of fights. You're like, oh, this, and he'd, he'd be, that's what I'm talking about. You're just, <laughs> <laughs> but it was, it was great, man. It yeah. was, it was football. It was, it was, it was what, you know, I, I grew up watching and, 
And he did. He has he has a way of, you know, just like you look at like the Pete Carrolls, or you look at some of these coaches today, they have a way of getting more out of their teams and more expectations when people don't think that, you know, they have they have the right players or this, that, and the other. And it's a way that they it's a way that they bond with their players, they communicate and they know how to push and pull. And it, it, it's it's actually a skill set that that's why he's in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Yeah. For those that have never been there to Arrowhead and 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 seen a game played there. You know, it's the oldest stadium in the NFL. I mean, it's been updated, but it's it's from like the early '70s that place has been there. Okay, it's been it's been a while, and and it still might be. I'm sure the folks in Buffalo are going to say they have the best game day atmosphere, and they might. But I mean, for those that don't understand, what's it like going into Arrowhead? Because the the crowd is right on top of you there. Yeah, right? it's it is. It is second to none. And I say this with the best, most reverence for Minnesota fans. Like, obviously, Minnesota knows the dome was insane, right? Yeah. But when you, there's there's an atmosphere when you pull in, we, no matter how cold, rainy, whatever, we'd put the windows down coming through our, our entrance and you would just smell those coals burning, right? And it's just yeah. something about when you get to the parking lot, you can't fully experience it as a, as a video team because you're on the bus. So, as the home team, when you come in, you roll your windows down. And you just, you smell that barbecue, you smell the food, you smell football in the air, you yeah. smell Arrowhead long before you see it. And I'll never forget on a preseason game, I was trying to come in, I mean, there was people backed up on the freeway out there just tailgating, waiting for the gates to open. Um, it is one of the greatest football environments you'll ever see from the parking lot all the way in. And those fans are are intense, they are diehard, and for an outdoor stadium, I mean, it's like mini earthquakes on Sundays. So yeah. uh, it, it is, it was, it's nostalgic. It's, it's like I said, it, there's something about when you pull into that parking lot and, you know, I know Philly probably says it with the old vet, you know, getting batteries thrown at people and stuff like that. But I don't know. Arrowhead has a tradition of just uh, barbecue football and it just kind of melts together. And you, and you just kind of, you, as soon as you get to that gate, you start smelling those coals. You, you just, you smile and you get the hair stand up on your back, your neck, and you know, it's football Sunday. Yeah. It's the best smelling stadium in the NFL. I'll die on that Hill. Yes. Uh, you, you, you mentioned Minnesota because this becomes the transition. So why don't we take our first break here? We come back with Jared Allen. We'll talk about the decision he had to make and how it paid off for him. We're talking to Jared Allen on half forgotten history. Stay with us. Hope you're enjoying this Half Forgotten History episode with Jared Allen. It's time for the Mercedes-Benz Trivia Challenge regarding Jared's career. And we went a little off the beaten path here, so we're going to give you multiple choice questions here. What movie in 2010 did Jared appear in? Was it Iron Man 2, Jackass 3D, The Prince of Persia, The Sands of Time, or was it The Tooth Fairy? We'll give you the answer right after the break. You know, you open up a Mercedes-Benz Sprinter and you're opening more than doors. You're unlocking potential to do your own thing, be your own boss, and live out your own dreams. With 16 body types, your choice of a gas or diesel engine, and thousands of ways to customize, a Sprinter van is capable and versatile enough to help you drive your ambitions as far as you want to take them. So go ahead, unlock your potential inside a Mercedes-Benz Sprinter. All right, everybody, I want to tell you about an app I use quite frequently, and it's Zelle. Look, whenever you're out on the golf course, you're playing with your buddies, the round is over, you've either won or you've lost, and it's time to either collect your rewards or give away your punishment. Using the Zelle app is so simple and easy. You don't have to reach into your wallet, look for a 20 or a 5, and make sure you have the right bills. You open up the Zelle app, and you either tell people, I kicked your butt today, give me my rewards for kicking your butt, or you can quickly and less humiliatingly just send them the money, and you don't have to dwell on it. Either way, whether you win that round of golf or you lose, 
Zelle makes the transition of the funds so much easier and simpler, and everybody is a little happier. All right, back with Jared Allen on Half Forgotten History. So you play your first three years for the Chiefs on a minimum salary, and obviously you produce, you know, and, and then uh, they sign you to the one-year uh, franchise tender, and you go off. You lead the league with 15 and a half sacks. At that point, did you think, I'm a made man in Kansas City for life, or what's going to happen? Yeah, uh, I did. To be honest with you, I had no plans of ever leaving Kansas City. I thought I was a lifer there. Um, you know, and I and I signed my tenure. Obviously, I signed my uh, my tender there before they franchised me. That they gave they put me with the first and third round tender right. uh, going into my restricted year. And you know, I had had my issues my third year, and you know that's why I was like, hey, let me let me prove to you guys, you know, who I am as a person and as a player. Like you know, so yeah, I went into that year thinking I was getting you know there was no choice there was no chance i was leaving right, right. um yeah and then they franchised me, and, the, and the people say oh like today that's not that bad i mean you know that the formula is still the same numbers are completely different right right but you know the problem was i i we in our conversations i had said listen i i'm not even going to fight you on this tender right yeah. but do not franchise tag me. Like if you franchise tag me, I'm going to take this as a complete sign that of disrespect that you don't want me here. Like we'd already had these open conversations. So when they did it, it was, you know, it was kind of the slap in the face. And it was one of those deals where you're just like, man, like I, I specifically asked you not to do that. We were, you know, we had will. And, and to be honest, again, the things happen for the right reason, because we had given them a contract that, you know, if they would have said yes to at the time would have been, phenomenal i've been like one of the top five paid you know defensive ends at the time uh, but they said no and then dwight freedy came in and saved us all dwight freedy broke yeah. the bank yeah. <laughs> so yeah he certainly did and then you broke the bank uh, yeah so, well then my numbers were better than dwight so it worked right so, so so how did like how did minnesota happen did did uh like tell me did you was that out of the blue did is that somewhere your that your agent talked to you and said this is where i'd like to go or so jay glazer's a, a dear friend of mine um yeah. and you know him and brad childress at the time were really close and you know, Jay was out in Arizona. That's where I was training. I was training with him, you know, MMA stuff and like that. And, you know, I, 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 they knew he had known we were going to ask for, you know, ask for a trade and stuff like that. Um, and so, you know, my first initial was, was Tampa, right. I knew Tampa was, was interested. Um, and we had kind of got, you know, we, when I, I, I'd called Clark myself and, and, you know, my agent finally, we were just like, listen, you're either, you're either renting me for, you know, 10 games and I'm probably pulling a hamstring or we can make this trade work and, and I can go somewhere that wants me and, and this, that, and the other. And so, uh, we, we started, once we got the approval for the trade, it was then, then they yeah, then Minnesota came in, obviously, you know, you know, you had, you had to be so careful because without permission, you can't talk to anybody, right? So because of Correct. tampering and all that. So, um, you know, Jay had, Jay had mentioned, he's like, man, if you can get, if you can get them to agree to a trade, I think Minnesota would be interested. And so, uh, and, you know, my agent had, had ties in Tampa. And so, you know, we were able to work both those angles. And, and once we started talking with Minnesota, we knew that was the place, um, that, that best fit. That's where I really wanted to be. Um, although it was tough, it was a tough, it was a tough sale not to go with Gruden down in Tampa, but at the end of the right. day, um, you know, the Vikings stepped up and, you know, Rick and I, Rick, Rob, and actually Dave Blondo was still there at the time going way back. And, wow. uh, and so we, we, had, we had, we just had great, honest conversation and I, I'll never forget, you know, Rick asking like, why, why do you want this? 
Like, why do you, you know, and I, I basically told him, I said, you know, obviously I, I, well, hey, I think I deserve it. And I, I want to go play somewhere where people have faith in me. And that's right now. I feel like the chiefs aren't showing, you know, the kind of faith I have in them and to me. And, and so as a, as a player, I still had that college mentality. It, it, I really wanted to play for an organization that believed in me, not only just my abilities, but me as a person and understood everything I was telling them was the truth. And that, you know, my days were, you know, my days of running and gunning and, and acting like a knucklehead were behind me. And, um, so yeah, it just kind of, it just kind of all fell together and, um, you know, they, they didn't let me leave and, you know, thank God they didn't. <laughs> well, I was about to say you, at that point, you signed the richest contract ever for a defensive player in the history of the NFL. Like, I, I know that's a, like a, a title that doesn't mean a lot in terms of, oh, you know, it's like a pro bowls or all this, but when you get it, like how much of the, for you was a validation of like, yes, this is, this, yeah, this is how was, good I am. It was, it was big. Right. And that was some of the conversation yeah. they had. And I told him why it was important. I said, it's not just important to me too, though. I, and one thing, uh, and I have to give my agent credit for this. One thing uh, we were always cognizant of my entire career, no matter what contract I did was to make sure it was a clean contract. Right. Like that, right. because I knew people coming behind me, I'm setting precedent for people coming behind me. So from the business side of things, you know, there, there's, there, you always have opportunities where you can take less, you can do this, you can, you know, or they want to throw these things in there, but you know, that's that, that, whatever you, whatever bad you put in your contract is coming back to bite somebody else. Correct. Um, and, and, you know, I mean, a lot of teams try to use that on us and I didn't go to certain teams because of that. Um, so it, it was, it was, that, that was important to me too, but yeah. So it was, again, it was one of those things like where I could be the standard bearer, right? I felt like I was the, I was the standard at defensive end at the time. Uh, I felt that my contract should reflect that. And not only that, I wanted, I, and we told him, I'm like, listen, this contract isn't lasting. I mean, Peppers was up to, I think two years later or a year right. later, and you know, that guy's going to get super paid. So, Correct. um, it was just, and you, and as that, as, as what the guys went through in the strikes and, and to be able to come to free agency and, and to build on that, you know, I was, you know, for me, it's, 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 it's keeping that, that side of, of football going, right? Like it's, it's on us to always make sure we leave it better than we found it. And that was kind of our goal. And that's what another, that's one of the reasons why it was so important. And, um, and he, obviously the money is, the money is great. The money is money. But um, at the end of the day, it was, it was about setting precedent and about, you know, again, that sense of accomplishment that, you know, I've earned this, I deserve it. And that I wanted to go out and earn it again. Yeah. Well, listen, you, you showed it right away. Your first two seasons matching 14 and a half sacks, uh, tackles for losses were off the charts. Uh, and, you know, you even scored a touchdown, uh, in, in 2009. So that all sort of culminates with the NFC championship game, right? That's, oh. that's Brett Favre year, you know, after, after the whole jets disaster, he comes back where he wanted to be to begin with. And you guys go down to New Orleans, um, and I, I'm not trying to bring up a painful memory. But, <laughs> I was just you know, crying. Over <laughs> I'm peeling onions here. Tell me more about it. You know, but like, I, like you guys were there, and it, it looked to the world, it looked to the entire world, like you guys were on a drive that was going to lead you guys uh, to the game-winning score in the fourth quarter, and then Favre uncorks one of the most ill-timed passes of his uh. entire career. Well, yeah, that whole that whole see that whole scenario. There's that sequence of the 12 men in the huddle, like just yeah. not taking a timeout. Um, and I still thought Longwell could make that kick, right? Right. Uh, I mean, again, you look at it. Brett runs the ball. We have a we have a chip shot, right? Sydney does it. But so the reason, like everybody talked about, I'm like that pass. You got to remember, we go back to even the the divisional round with the Cowboys, you know, he hits that same exact throw to Sydney across the middle for a touchdown. Right. So right. if Sydney, if Sydney keeps running, that ball doesn't get picked off. 
Yeah. Uh, so Sydney stops on the hole. Brett throws it back to him, pick off, and you know then and then you could talk about the fourth and one play if you want. Where I don't know how the guy fumbles the ball. You can't fumble the ball forward. It is what right. it is. Um, yeah, to be honest, we all thought we were going to the Super Bowl too. Uh, I'm yeah. sitting there thinking, I'm like, I can't even remember the down it was, but I'm like, oh, we're we're already within Longwell's distance. This is a chip shot. We're we're going, um, and and the tide turns, and and we end up uh, we end up being the team that could have been. You know, I, I yeah. always say if that if we end up going on and winning the Super Bowl that year, we probably are arguably one of the top top tens of all you know, all time teams in the NFL. Um, but it's the it's the story that'll never get told. <laughs> yeah. So so just for a player's perspective, so people understand. You know, because you see you see all these you know these superstars that go you know three four or five times in their career to a Super Bowl. When you've never been and you get that close, how long does it take to sort of get over it, or are you uh, over it? No, you don't. It's hard. It, it's it, losing the Super Bowl was easier than losing the NFC title game because it took yeah. me almost ten years to get back to that. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, or what? I guess what was? What did I go back in twenty sixteen? So seven years. Yeah. Because uh, you're there. You're this close. You're one game away from the ultimate what everybody wants to go to and and then you're retooling right so then we come back 2010 think oh we got the same player bam injury bug hits us all these scan you know it's just one thing after the next um so losing the afc or nfc championship game in my opinion is just it's gut-wrenching it rips you out and you really have to go back and you know you basically got to take some time and just bury it and then try to you know retool but it's one of those things that's always in your mind like we were so close we were right there and and you got to try you got to find ways to use it for motivation but that's why i think you see teams you know they're there one year and they dip because that emotional roller coaster that emotional low is hard to come back from you know i'm so glad you said that because i say that to people all the time that don't play and they're like oh what are you talking about losing the super bowl is much worse i'm like no at least if you make it to the super bowl you're there and you you've given yourself the opportunity but when you lose on championship sunday it's like you just stabbed yourself in the heart and you don't exist. You yeah. really don't. You really don't exist. I mean, think about it. I remember on the Chiefs game, they were just talking about Andy Reid. That guy went to four, you know, NFC championships in a row. Where yeah. I think he made one Super Bowl. If he didn't even one make the Super, Super Bowl, Bowl yeah. right? Yeah. They lost there. No one talks about that. They talk about the one Super Bowl. He's had eight title games, right? I think yeah. he's had four with Kansas City. Yep. And he's been to two. They only talk about the Super Bowl he won or the Super Bowls yeah. he made. No one remembers the, the the championship games you lose. You're third, fourth yeah. place. No one cares. And I think that's that's what it is. It's just it's. I would argue that championship games are bigger than the Super Bowl as far as an emotional standpoint from the players because it's just you know it's what's just, at stake. Like you, you know, know what's at stake. You, everybody wants to play. Like I, everybody wants to win. I get it. But to win, you gotta go. And I yep. think everybody just wants the opportunity to go and see what happens. Hundred percent. And it's honestly, it's a trap. It's a pitfall for yeah. for players and coaches because sometimes you get to the Super Bowl and you think you made it right. Right. So you look, that's why, I mean, you look at Brady and you have to say, holy crap, this dude's mindset of Super Bowl wins only matter, right? Like that's a totally right. different mindset. Everybody else's goal is to, and you hear it in every locker room around the league, get to the Super Bowl, right? right. Get to the Super Bowl. It's never win the Super Bowl, it's get to the Super yeah. Bowl. And so, you know, those teams that do it multiple times, I mean, that's a different mindset, hats off to them. But yeah, losing those championship games are, are devastating and it takes – it takes a lot to get back and reset your mind and say, okay, we got to, you just got to focus. And, and it's selfish, but you kind of just say, all right, I just got to focus on making sure I'm not the reason we don't get back. We, like, right. Yeah. I got to be as good as I was that year. And if everybody takes that mindset, it falls into place. But all right. So if that was the bottom, there's a couple of things that really went well for you in Minnesota. First of all, I have to get this. Do you feel responsible for birthing Dan Orlovsky into the national 
picture. Yeah, I, I, I would say so. <laughs> I think, uh, I think, and Dan, and Dan would give me credit for it. I, I love He Dan. would. He would. I, you know what I love about that guy? Totally yeah. owns it. He totally yeah. owns it. I remember talking yeah. to him after the game. He said, I'm a huge fan here, this, that, and the other. I was talking about it earlier this morning on Good Morning Football. I said, uh, you know, I was like, my only, the only sad part about this is that so many emotions went through my head on that play. A, I had a great rush. I was untouched. You did. Yeah. I'm like, you know, and, and that usually gets rewarded with you just getting to blindside the quarterback, right? Yeah. Uh, so I'm in my head, I'm like, oh, this is sack, safety, maybe fumble, touchdown. Um, and then he ran out of the back of the end zone, and I'm dying laughing because I know it was, all right, it's my sack, it's my safety because I forced him out. Right. And he doesn't know he's out, so I'm laughing. Kevin, I think, had like four sacks in this game. Kevin right. Williams. So I'm yeah, yeah, I'm chasing Kevin Williams down. I'm like, man, I'm about to get beat in my first year, highest paid you know, player in NFL history on the defensive side of the ball. And yeah. a D tackle is about to beat me out of the sack lead on my own team. <laughs> I mean, this dude was balling. I'm like, I can't even catch four sacks. Like, come on, ticket. Um, yeah. and so I think I, and I I don't know if I ended, ended up with two that game. I can't remember or how it played out, but I just remember getting that one and Kevin shaking his head, just like this is this is crap. <laughs> yeah, buddy. Yeah, buddy. I'll take so, it. So, so as that play is, because your reaction is, you you knew right away. Like 100%. before, like, before ah. Dan had a clue, you're like celebrating. Like as you're seeing him run out of the back of the end zone in real time, what's going through your mind? Um, I was laughing. I was like, oh, this is great. I'm like, this dude just ran out of the back of the end zone and gave me a sack safety. Oh, my God. I'm like, oh, this is phenomenal. I mean, he could have he could have thrown the ball away. He could have done anything. Nope, yeah. out the back of the end zone. Um, yeah. And it wasn't like his heel clipped it. He no, was, was like, he striding. was out. And then he just yeah. kept going. Um, and so, yeah, I was I was dying laughing. And I, I could not, I, it was uh, in real time. I was like, oh, this is, this is going to be, this is epic. And, yeah. and, then, and then coming to the sideline, Kevin Tiggins just like, I just remember looking at him, he's like, that is, that is garbage. <laughs> <laughs> but to your point, he owns it. Like on his Twitter bio, Dan says, all end zones should be 11 yards. Although yeah. to be fair, I think he probably needed 12 on that one. Yeah, he, and, 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 yeah. and he, I mean, he was still like positioned, like looking down, feeling like he was about to make a play <laughs> yeah. out of that too. <laughs> oh, so good. So if that was a highlight, then obviously 2011 in Minnesota, 22 sacks, you came within a half sack of the record. How conscious of that record were you the entire season and going into that final game? Uh, every one. I mean, I chased it every year of my career, right? Um, mm. And I remember going into that final game, and I, I, I had a buddy in town, and we are sitting out in the basement Friday night, and um, I talked to my wife and him. I was like, he's like how are you, how you feeling? I was like, honestly, I was like, it's either going to be the greatest game, one of the greatest games of my career, or I am going to play the worst game. Like, there's no in-between. Yeah. I just was like, I'm either going – I'm going all out. Like it's either going to be, I'm either going to fail miserably or have the greatest success. Um, but the crazy part was it wasn't even necessarily for the, for the, for that, uh, the record. You got to remember Jason Babin came out of nowhere and had like yep. 17 and a half sacks that year. DeMarcus Ware had like 19 yeah. that year. Right. Yep. So I'm, I'm in, I'm sitting at I think 18 and a half and I had the lead or 19 going into that game. And I barely have the sack title lead by a half a sack. And I'm like, Holy right. crap. I, I got to have at least two or three just to, make sure I get my second sack title uh, of my career, which was, which was really important to me. I know that at that time, no one had had more than two. And so I wanted to join that group and still no one's had more than two sack titles in their entire career. Right. Um, so I, I, it was that was, there were so many things going on, going on. And just, so it was one of those things where, you know, everybody was kind of the focus was there and everybody, and I was just, I kind of owned it. I was like, listen, I'm going to, it, it, I'm letting everybody know I'm going after it. Right. It might, <laughs> 
it might be it might lead to 200 yard rushing game i don't know right. but I'm, I'm going after it yeah and, uh, stop the run on the way to the quarterback yeah, yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. and i gotta give fred puggett our d coordinator all the credit so they started chipping early and he he decided to play some man defense and and to walk our our backers up in the a gap and we just basically started sending Chad and, and Ben and, and those guys. Uh, I think Ben was Ben might not have been with us in 2011, but he basically started sending Chad to to basically rush your coverage. And they either had to they either had to chip me, choose to block me, or choose the block of the A gap. So I got to give Pug credit. The entire defense, you know, obviously we were trying to win the game, and uh, but they it was it was a conscious effort to try to get me that title, and, and it worked out. It, they created some one-on-ones for me. And the one I forget, I'll never forget, I knew it was going to be one of the last passes of the game. I jumped out into a nine. I was one. I was going to be one-on-one with a tight end, or I knew they would keep the tight end to block me, and I slipped coming off the ball, uh-huh. and I was just like, oh, and then McCown. It could have been a, it could have been a, you know, far straight hand situation. I'm chasing yeah. McCown out of bounds. All he has to do is run out of bounds. No one's going to say it wasn't any, like, it was what it was, and right he steps out, he just flips it. And nowadays, that's nowadays that would be intentional grounding because it didn't Correct. even get back because it didn't get back to the line of scrimmage. Scrimmage. So yeah. nowadays, it would have been intentional grounding. He would have had to eat that sack and would have given it to me. And then Aaron actually, Roger. Every time I see Aaron, he reminds me of the twenty-third sack they took from me that year uh, in Green Bay Monday Night Football. Aaron ball comes, he takes a step forward, he drops the snap. You put kind of new house. Bumps in the new house, drops the ball, right. picks it back up, rolls out. I sack him. Wednesday, they take the sack from me and they give it a Ugh. team sack. So they say it's a team sack. It's still a sack, but it's a team yeah. sack because Rogers muffed the ball. I fought it for years to try to get him to change it, and they said, "Nope, sorry, team sack, not yeah. your sack." Well, overri- like, right, well. Over- <laughs> overriding it here on Half Forgotten History, you now have the record. Congratulations! We've, we've taken care of it. We've righted the wrongs. That's why yeah. we do this show to make sure these things get taken care of. Aaron finds a way to remind me every time I see him. <laughs> hey, remember that time you didn't get that 23rd sack? I oh, appreciate it. Thanks, yeah. bud. <laughs> the next time you hey, remember that time you couldn't complete a pass without Devontae Adams? That's what you can say to him the next time you see him. <laughs> <laughs> so you finish up in Minnesota, then you go to Chicago, and sort of in a, in a great way, you end up getting to Carolina the year that it all sort of comes together. And like you said, you end up at Super Bowl 50. But the loss in Super Bowl 50 still doesn't compare to the loss of that NFC championship. No, um, that, you know, and, and again, I, that was that, that year. And I just, when I decided to keep playing, so I was going to, a lot of people, I, I was actually going to retire after 10 yeah. years, my last year in Minnesota. Uh, I had my retirement letter, you know, written out was to send it off. Um, you know, we, 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 we were doing, we were negotiating with Seattle at the time and, we just didn't come to terms and I mean, no, no fault to anybody. I mean, we, yeah. everybody, everybody was upfront and honest and it just didn't work out. And I was actually talking to our, my, our, our team chaplain from Minnesota telling Tom I was going to retire. And I was like, you know, I think I'm done. It's fine with me. You know, I, I only plan to play 10 years. And he was just like, I just don't think you're done yet, Jared. And I, and I tell you this, literally I clicked over as I'm talking to him. I was like, Hey, I, let me let you go. My agent's calling me. And he's calling me from the owner's meeting. And I'm thinking he's telling me, Hey, Seattle moved and we're going to Seattle. And he's like, I just got done talking with Chicago. How do you? Yeah. <laughs> and, he told, and, he, and he gave me the terms that he's like, they said yes to everything. I was like, well, it looks like we're going to Chicago. Yeah. Um, but, you know, yeah. So, you know, my last couple of years, my last year in Minnesota, just football wasn't fun, you know, losing and, yeah. uh, you know, just kind of just the way things were kind of playing out with coaches getting fired and, and, you know, organizational changes and stuff like that. Uh, I just wanted, I just wanted to go have fun. And then Chicago kind of was a debacle that first year. 
Um, and, you know, getting over to Carolina, when I went and asked Fox and Pace for the trade to Carolina, and, uh, you know, they, they obviously, you know, granted me that. Uh, it, it was great, man. It was, it, I couldn't imagine a better way to end my career. Um, you know, it was, even though, you know, I didn't get to play, I, I, the whole rotation thing was new to me. So I'm sure I was a pain right. around Ron's backside every day about, listen, I don't rotate. So you either bench me or play me. Either, that's how we, that's right. how I roll. Um, but to be a part of a locker room, that was so much fun. And in a season that was so joyous and to, and to finish in my, my hometown, you know, home, you know, I went to grow up in Santa Clara County right. Right. Uh, and to finish back home there was, was phenomenal. But yeah, that, I think for me too, just, I, I really was trying to take it in and, and understand. I knew that was my last game. Obviously I want, there was no more than I wanted to win the Super Bowl. It's, it's devastating. You don't, cause you, you, for us, you treat it like game day or we did. We, I didn't enjoy anything, yeah. you know, you know, yeah. except I was like, we're going to party our butts off. We'll enjoy it all once we win. Uh, and then you lose, and you're kind of like, well, that sucks. I probably should enjoy the festivities more. <laughs> but I think for me, it was just a, it was it was more nostalgic. It was more a culmination of of, of knowing my career was over. Um, you know, being able to do that in my home stand, being able to finish in the Super Bowl. So I was able to focus on the positives. Where in 2009, I mean, I'm in the prime of my career, right? And and you're just you're you're gut wrenched because you're like you know you're the better team. You know how the, the way it went down and the way you lost. You're just kind of like. Oh, and you just that that gut wrenching feeling of who knows if I'm getting back. Um, so, but yeah, but Carolina Carolina was a blast, man. It was set, it was such an amazing way to go. I, I laugh all the time. I go, it was it's kind of ironic, you know. 2011 was one of the worst years as a team that I've been a part of, three and thirteen. Yet it was the right. best personal, uh, you know, the best year of my career personally. Yeah. Fast forward 2016, 15, 16, the best team I'd ever been on, right? And statistically, one of the worst years of my career, yeah. my career two dealing sacks. with yeah. two sacks, back blown. I blew my L5 out, blew, yeah. broke my foot. Um, it was just, it was like, it, but you know what? That's, but it was one of those deals where I look back and, and, and that's why I love Coach McDermott. There's no, this is why he's having all the success up there. Him and Leslie Frey are great, great human beings. He brought me in one day and I remember I was bummed because I'm like, I, you know, my rush felt good. I just, I just wasn't, just wasn't getting to the QB the way I wanted to. And he put on tapes of me, you know, in the run, in run defense. And he was like, we don't have anybody holding the edge like this. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? You, you, your mind forgets sometimes, right? You get so, especially late in your career, I'm chasing numbers, right? I'm trying to break Jason Taylor. I'm trying to get past Richard right. Dent. I'm trying to climb my own personal goals. And you forget that you're, you're, you're one, you're one cog in the wheel and, uh, and you have, you have a greater purpose. And so coach McDermott was great at, at refocusing that. And so, even though, you know, two sacks, it was still such a, such a, a great, you know, great year, great way to end it. So much fun. Uh, unfortunately, we didn't get the, the ring and I have to look at my second place ring all the time. And that sucks. <laughs> but you got but there. That, but you I got, got there. there. But I got, got there. I got there. to, I got yeah. to experience it. I got to enjoy it. Well, listen, Peyton went out that way. You went out the other way in that same game, but at least you got there and were part of the experience. And he got revenge on me. So my first start was against Peyton. My first start was against Peyton and I won. My last start was against Peyton and he won. Unfortunately, his was for a ring. (laughs) Other than that, they were exactly the same. Exactly the same. same. (laughs) Let's take our second break here with with, uh, Jared Allen. When we come back, we'll talk about what he talked about at the beginning of the show. Former NFL players curling. Stick around. We're coming right back. What's up, everybody? One of the key games in the NFL Week 11 is going to be the Dallas Cowboys taking on the Minnesota Vikings. And if you want to get in on the action, let's get you caught up with what you need to know with Trey's Trends, presented by Caesar Sportsbook. Well, Minnesota played arguably the game of the season last weekend when they walked out of Buffalo with that weird 33-30 overtime win. Both teams had multiple chances to win. 
But in moving that record to 8-1, Minnesota actually won their seventh straight game by just one score. And if you think that's rare, you would be correct. They tied an NFL record. The only other team to do that, the Kansas City Chiefs in 2020, who also strung together seven straight wins by a single score. But did that win give the Vikings a lot of respect? Well, according to Caesar Sportsbook, they're actually a one-point underdog at home taking on the Dallas Cowboys. It's just the third time in the last 10 seasons a team has been 8-1 and one or better and finds itself being an underdog at home. But Minnesota is pretty comfortable in this situation. They're 7-3 and three against the spread and have won four outright games when being a home underdog. Dallas, on the other hand, is pretty good at being a road favorite. Uh, they had won and covered five straight games as a road favorite before losing Sunday in Green Bay. And oh, by the way, the Cowboys have won three straight games in Minnesota by a grand total of just nine points. If you're ready to place your bets, it's real simple. Download the Caesar Sportsbook app to get started. Must be 21 or over, 19 or over in Ontario. Must be physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Maryland, Michigan, Nevada, New Jersey, New York, Ontario, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Wyoming, or Washington, D.C. Sports betting is void in Georgia, Hawaii, Ohio, Utah, and other states where permitted. Know when to stop before you start. Gambling problems? Well, in Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Virginia, West Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER. That's 1-800-426-2537. For Maryland, visit mdgamblinghelp.org. West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Colorado, D.C., Nevada, Wyoming, Kansas. Affiliate with Kansas Cross Casino. Call 1-800-522-4700. Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Iowa, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Louisiana, call 1-877-770-STOP. Licensed through Horseshoe, Bossier City, and Harrison Wellness. Michigan, call 1-800-270-7117. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. Ontario, visit connectsontario.ca or call 1-866-531-2600 or text CONNECT to 247-247. Tennessee, call or text TN Redline at 1-800-889-9789. All right, time now for the answer to the Mercedes-Benz trivia question about Jared Allen's acting career. Uh, the 2010 film he appeared in, we asked you, was it Iron Man 2, Jackass 3D, Prince of Persia, or The Tooth Fairy? Uh, the answer is B, Jackass 3D. And if you think about it, that makes so much sense. And now back to the rest of the Half Forgotten History episode with Jared Allen. So everybody needs something to do when they stop playing, especially if you're a competitive person, you've been doing this your entire life. You have landed on curling. How did this happen? I took a bet. Uh, you know, I think I probably said a thousand times, but I'll, I'll, I'll cliff note. I took a bet from a buddy to try to make the Olympics, and I thought curling was my best shot. And um, so I went all in, and I've never welched on a bet. So uh, here I am still trying to make the Olympics. What is it What is it about curling that you like? Honestly, so at first I chose it because we weren't that good at it. And I was like, I have four yeah. years to learn how to do it. So I can, I can probably master it in four years. Um, but it's, it, it's almost, it's like golf short game, right? It's, yeah. it, it's, it's almost everything. It's, it's touch. It's feel your adrenaline works against you. And you have to be in such control of your body. Like, you know, just sweep end to end heart rate up. Right. And then have to come back and throw a shot or, you know what I mean? You're just like, Oh, um, and, and, and it's like, ch it's, ch it's chest understanding these little tiny angles where, I mean, it's literally fractions of an inch make a huge difference. So I think I like it because it took me out of my comfort zone. Uh, and you're putting a big guy on ice, which is, a, that's just actually a funny thing to watch in general. <laughs> I, I fall, I fall probably all the time still. Yeah. It's it hard, just, it, man. Like I, I did it. I did it when the Super Bowl was in Minnesota Larry Fitzgerald and I did some together. Like it is not easy. Curling is not easy. No, they don't tell you that. You're like, oh, they, no. they, these guys, they look out of shape. They're doing it. Can't be that hard. Um, I've, I've gotten a lot better. So, but it's it just, it's, it, I think it's for me, it's that challenge of any task of trying to master it. Whatever I do, I want to be my best. 
Um, and it gives me another um, another way to do that. It gives me another way to set an example for my kids when you put your mind stuff and see it through. Um, and, you know, we're having fun doing it. And uh, this year we've been, we're doing all right. We're, I think we're 85th in the world right now, our team. We're, I think, top five in the United States. So short-term goal is to try to qualify on points for the Nationals this year. Uh, see where that goes. But, you know, we got about three and a half years to, to make an Olympic run. How long do you think you can do it? Like, how long can you, Jared Allen, competitively curl? Oh, I could go into my fifties. You know, let's go probably. Right, but I, I that I probably won't. I think I think this next four years is it's it's more time consuming than you think. Like, because yeah. spiels are like a three day. Everything's like three days. Right, man. I don't want to be gone from my family that long. Um, and you're and you're in like the most remote parts of Canada and like yeah. the smallest towns in Wisconsin. So you find yourself literally at like a super eight motel more times. And you're like, I just want to sleep at the Westin. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm like, no, I'll, I'll, yeah. I'm like, I'll take I'll take a Holiday Inn Express at this point. So yeah, they don't uh, they don't they don't uh, curl in in balmy temperatures a lot. No, yeah. the com- the accommodations are no are nowhere near what the NFL is. Yeah, Medicine Hat has its own hotel, and I'm sure they have their fine little antiquities. But yeah, give me a five star any day of the week. So, so what's more, what's more enjoyable to you now, curling or still working with horses? Oh, you know what? I think everything. Um, I love, I love roping. I really do. It's, it's, a, it's a fun deal, and uh, it's another thing that that challenges me, right? To constantly get better because every time you think you're good. For example, I had, I went through with a with a buddy. I don't call it a month or two ago and he's really, really good. And I, I was like, I, I got this and, you know, just caught my first steer. Yeah. And then I missed like eight yeah. in a row and I was just like shaking my head. Like, yeah. <laughs> But now, now it's great because I got my, I got my uh, hot heels. It's a roping dummy, right? And my dad yeah. pulls it around on the ranger. So I get to spend time with the old man and he gets to play the cow and I get to rope silver. So there you right. go. That works. <laughs> and, and for people that don't know, that was your sack celebration, right? That it was yeah. one of the more unique sack celebrations of all time. When did that like become a thing for you? When did you think, Hey, this is what I'm going to do. My second year, so Neil Smith, I, I honored him, and when he Neil got put Smith. in the ring, when he got put yeah. in the ring of honor in Kansas City, I got two sacks that game. I did his home run celebration. We had dinner that night, and he was like, "Hey, thanks so much. That meant the world to me." He's like, "You know, you got to come up with a sack celebration that you do every time that's unique to you." So I was talking with some people back home, and he was like, "Hey, you know, I grew up calf roping. Let's, you know, when you tie them up, throw your arms up. That's when the judges stop the clock. So let's stop the clock on some quarterbacks." And it took off. People didn't know if it was Jack in the Box, if it was, hey, look at me. You explained it was calf roping. Jack in the Box. People fell in love with it, and uh, it stuck. And uh, and so, yeah, we just just rode with it the rest of the career. Best sack that you can remember? You obviously just said Peyton was your first, and that's obviously a huge deal. But is there one sack that you're like, that was me at my best? Um, to be honest, one of my all-time favorites is I ran clean through. I think it was Chris. I know Sims was the offensive lineman's name. I forget his name. Uh, I I ran clean through him and sacked. Um, I think it was Collins. Was it Collins at the time? Kerry Collins, Collins with with yeah. Oakland. Yeah. Uh, and it was one of those where you you know it's like hitting a golf ball. You just know you hit the sweet spot. Yeah. My helmet hit his chin and he collapsed. And I went over the top of him. It, uh, so that, that's that's one of my all-time favorites. And Eric Hicks actually, they got a picture of it and they put it on my my uh, my locker. My, I think it was my I mean, it's my rookie my it's my rookie year, my second year in the league. Uh, yeah. Payton's one of my all-time favorite sacks because I only got him one time. That was my actually my first sack. He just falls Minnesota. down, like he just falls down. Yeah, but he yeah. gets through the ball so fast you can't yeah. get to him, right? And so yeah. I got to Payton. Payton was my very first sack in Minnesota. Only time I ever got him. So that's one of my favorite. And then Tom Brady, uh, I beat Matt Light. First play of uh, 
for the first play of the game. I think it was my rookie year. I came around the edge and got Tom Brady on a nice little chop rip around the corner. So uh, those, those are probably my three highlights. Um, was there an offensive lineman that just you couldn't figure out? Like one guy's like, damn, why, yeah, why, Wal- why am I struggling with this guy? Walter Jones. Um, uh, well, legendary. Walter, Walter Jones was so tough. Jonathan Ogden was so tough. So guys – Peter realized like the less aggressive you were with me was the harder for me to, to beat you. Right. right. Um, because if you were aggressive, aggressive to me, I, I knew I could break you down. I can, I can stop your, I can stop your inside foot. I can get you to shoot your hands. And once you give me your hands, it was over. Um, so guys that kind of just floated back and would just absorb you were always the most difficult that and guys that were like mediocre. I would rather play an all pro versus like just a dude any day of the week because the guy who's who's getting paid to protect, he's going. He they're going to leave him over there. They're going to let him do his job. You know, when you're dealing right. with guys that are just jags, you know, just a just a guy we call them guy. jags in the yeah. league. Um, you're going to get chip help. You know, they they just kind of fumble around. You're going to get guard help. You're going to get this help. You're going to get help. So you really you're just trying to you're trying to navigate traffic to get through. But yeah, you know, I mean, Walter Jones, Jonathan Ogden, obviously those guys. Um, you know, we're, we're always, we're tough. Joe Thomas was another one that, that yeah. he's, he's tough to operate with just because they, they understand where their quarterbacks are at and they, they kind of, they allow, they almost use your aggressiveness against you, right? They allow you right. to get like Walter, he's going to cut you off and then set straight back. You're like, Oh, I got the inside move. And then, you know, Hasselback or Wallace would just step to the side and you're like, crap, they wash you across. Uh, right. But you know, I had, I also had to face Willie Rofe every day in practice. So my life yeah. was hell when I first started. In the NFL. I was about to say, <laughs> those are all large human beings who they can envelop you. Yep. So is there, is there a guy playing today that you're like, he plays like me. Uh, like I, I like the way he rushes the. I, I I love I really love the way um, uh, Miles Garrett plays. I really do. And that young yeah. kid from uh, that young kid from Dallas, Michael Parsons. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I think he he really uses his body well. Miles um, Garrett. He reminds me a lot of Julius Peppers. I mean, the guy, yeah, the guy's a stud. I mean, Daniel Hunter when he has his hand. I haven't been able to watch him as a stand up, but when he yeah. has his hand in the dirt, I really love the way he rushes the passer as well. So, listen, you played a bunch of places. You were drafted in Kansas City. You fell in love with it. But then they moved on from you, and you spent the most of your career in Minnesota. So when people say Jared Allen, do you think of yourself as a chief or a Viking? I'm a Viking. That's why I retired there. I mean, that's that's where I did the bulk of my work. But I mean, but the Chiefs organization has been great. They've had me back. So, you know, I'm like I'm like the I'm like the beloved stepson, you know, <laughs> still yeah. in Kansas City. So I, I, I love Kansas City still. Uh, but if you if you ask me where where I identify with, right? It's it's definitely with Minnesota first and foremost and the Chiefs. I try to forget about my Chicago years and then uh... Yeah, it's a lot of people. <laughs> I get that. So you got 136 sacks. Um, you've been on the list. What would a gold jacket mean to Jared Allen? Ah man, it mean the world to me. Um it's one of those things that it's it's hard to to put into words what it would mean because you're getting honored for something that is hoping that stands the test of time and there's nothing I can do to, to, you know, there's nothing I can't do more, you know what I mean? To get in, get out. So my first year, I really had no expectation. I was thrilled to be a first ballot finalist last year. I'll be honest. It stung not getting in just because I was like, well, why are they holding me over? If I was the first ballot finalist with one of the greatest hall of fame classes ever. Um, But at the end of the day, I know that it's not going to, I mean, people say, Oh, it's great. It's not going to change my life. Right. I mean, my wife, my kids, they're still going to love me the same. So I try to keep that in perspective. I try to keep it as, listen, it'll be a tremendous honor. I will wear that jacket with pride. I will, it, it, it'd be one of the highlights of my, of my career, one of the highlights of my life. Um, but at the end of the day, I mean, when you got, I try not to worry about things I have no control over. So if, if the voters deem it necessary, then they deem me worthy and, uh, and I'll move on. If not, 
Um, I'll just keep living my life and uh, it is what it is. Hey, man, keep curling and keep roping and, and keep hitting a few golf shots. Life is not terrible, my friend. Absolutely. I'm, I'm a blessed human being. Yeah. Hey, listen, great talking to you, man. Great catching up to you. I appreciate this. And I think I like your chances down the road. I don't want to speak for anybody, but I'm just saying it wouldn't surprise me if one of these days you get the call that you're hoping for. I appreciate it. Thanks. Again, you just keep throwing those good vibes out. You got it, brother. <laughs> All right, thanks to Jared Allen for joining us. If you didn't see his induction into the Vikings Ring of Honor a couple of weeks ago, fantastic. Rode in on a horse in Minnesota. I'm just hoping someone was able to clean up after the horse was on the field. Speaking of a horse, next week's guest, uh, that might define his career. From his amazing days at the University of Colorado to his stellar days as a linebacker for so many teams that ended up with one of the greatest season cut stories of all time in 2007. I'm talking about, of course, longtime NFL linebacker Chad Brown. We'll see you next week. Yeah.